Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your co-host, Brandon. I'm your co-host, Ian. And I am your host, Justin. <laughs> this podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children, but neither are our D&D games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our show is brought to you by our generous Patreon donors. We have a new goal patron. We do. His goal. name is Alan Parker. So, uh, welcome, Alan Parker, to the elite of the elite. You are the best of the best of the best. Around. I was actually going for the Men in Black the line. Men in Black, yeah. Yeah, see, he got it. Look at you. I told the most to cry, kid. Yeah, whatever. Um, so, welcome to the crew, and thank <laughs> Captain you. Captain America over here. The best, the best, the best, sir. With honors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> My memory is garbage, Nathan. You're not wrong. Uh, uh Thank you, Alan Parker, for supporting our show. It really means a lot to us, and hopefully you will be enjoying this live stream with us. I do not see him in the live chat. Yet. Anyway, um, so if you don't know, Patreon is a membership platform for creators to build relationships with their most loyal of fans, known as patrons. It's a tier-based reward system that allows you to support your favorite creators for as little as $1 a month. One buck. In exchange, you're offered an exclusive content based on the tier that you select. So if, you're, if you've got a little extra cash flowing around and you think our show, show is worth more than $10 and you want some of the extra benefits that come with it, um, you, can, you can do that. We have a very large collection, I think a large collection, for the three tiers that we have. You can watch our show live. You can come to our hangout when the link works uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and hang out and chit-chat with us. We do uh, monthly uh, uh, custom tokens that you can either print off or add to your digital games. As well as uh, Brandon does a free art commission every uh, every, every month, month every which, month. which is awesome, by the way. And you need to be posting those to the Patreon page so everyone can see them outside of just the Facebook. So then, people okay. will pay you to actually do yes, that for them because you want to advertise your business, right? I know I, some I, people have contacted me about it, trying to get yeah, oh, nice. possible things going on. I don't know if you know, but his uh, you can actually uh, get commissions from Brandon. Um, he does full color art for twenty bucks. And then everything goes down from there. That is an amazing price for the quality of art uh, that he does. Sam says... So bar went, got it. <laughs> Sam says he doesn't have any cash lying around, but our show is definitely worth it. Well, we appreciate that, Sam. Can we get that in writing? Oh, he did. He texted it. We can copy and paste that. <laughs> um, so, Maybe yes. Like, oh, yeah. Oh. Okay. So definitely, uh, we want to sp- give a special thanks to all our patrons who join our show. Thank you so much for your support. It really warms our genitals. <laughs> this is just getting worse. What did it say <laughs> now? Each individual token is a separate nip. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, so, thanks for joining us today here at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. That's right. Your roles like a noble without an honor guard. Yeah, I never. <laughs> and I really feel like that fits with the fits with the theme we got going on today. That's good. Um, we're really mm-hmm. excited for our episode. We got a lot of great stuff for you today. But before we get to all that, we like to start off our show by giving away wonderful prizes to our listeners. If you don't know, you can head on over to CritAcademy.com, and there's a little subscription box. You just type in your email address and get added to our emailing to be entered to win one of three prizes that we give out every single week. Neat. Uh, our first giveaway is from Goblinstone. Each episode, we will draw one lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the five-star rated adventure, Banquet of the Damned, compliments of Goblinstone. 
Goblinstone is a community project for D&D fans based out of the UK. They aim to be a place where you can team up with professionals to turn your ideas into high-quality products and give every fan a chance to get published. Be sure to head over to www.goblinstone.com or you can check out our fellowship link on our website, www.critacademy.com. Brandon, who's our winner today? Our winner for Goblin Stone's adventure is Mage Rissug. That's R I S S U U U J. I feel my Tomora flopping around. You gotta take a stand dabbing. We just lost any little bit of self respect that we had. Yeah. We had self respect. Okay, that's fantastic. So congratulations to Mage Isuag. If you enjoy the adventure, please head on over to gomstone.com and leave him a review. Let him know what you like, what you didn't like, and help him improve his product moving forward. Tell him Credit Academy sent you. They like that. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a really exciting episode for you today. Uh, we have our, uh, from le- our Let's Talk About Blank site, we have a question from Brian Sines in regards to Eldritch Blast. Our main topic is Cloak and Dagger Adventures and how you can be <laughs> the best around stabity stab stab die (laughs) (laughs) no and then of course we have our unearthed tips and tricks segment where we bring new and reusable material for both players and dms but before all that we have in the realm where we talk about a little bit what's going on in our life ian what's going on in your realm well i played my monthly starfinder game this uh past saturday that was fun your what Monthly monthly starfinder game which are going to be playing three times this month that's that's pathfinder and the space right yeah is it more exciting than Star Trek? It depends on the group you're with. Brandeon, what is going on in your realm? Uh, not much. Looking for work right now. Uh, I got... I thought you had work. <laughs> I did. I got fired. Oh. Who fired you? Your wife. Oh, no. <laughs> and it was so sad, too, because she said, hey, step in my office. Like, And I told her, I don't want to hear those words. <laughs> I said that straight to her. She's like, no, I didn't come step in Katie's office. <laughs> I don't so want to hear stepped, that in here. I stepped in, and she's like, now, Katie was supposed to be here to help me, but she's not coming, so I have to do this by myself, and it's so hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, we gotta let you go. I'm sorry. She loves you. She didn't want to, did she? No. And I don't blame her. It's, it's been hard for me to be able to keep up with the orders, especially yeah. with uh, Summer coming along, and it's just stacking and stacking. It was just too hard for me to keep up. Is this the first time she's fired you? No. <laughs> I'm sorry, bro. This is different, though. Well, I'm just wondering how long before she fires me from being her husband. This was, this was a... Oh, Tate, I was fired. This is a good firing. <laughs> She's like, okay, you did your best, but they, the boss is saying that it's not exactly it's to her expectations, to so we're going to let you go. Back then, it was when I was doing the thing with Johnny Allman, mm-hmm. and <laughs> I was pretty much just fucking off, so it's like, you need to go. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was a bad fire, because I was an idiot, but this time <laughs> I actually tried my best to do what I could, and, and it, it just wasn't, wasn't enough. Well, I am sorry. It shit happens. But looking for work now, I applied for Safe Light. I'm thinking about uh, reapplying for next year. I don't know. Well, apparently, GM's hiring a lot right now. Chrysler, too. And Chrysler, I mean to go with Gabe about that. Cause yeah, well, meaning to is not a job profession, bro. No. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great if it was. <laughs> You'd be a master. And uh, on a lighter note, uh, I ordered a bunch of new cubes before I got fired. <laughs> So, give you time to master them. Yeah, that's funny. Not, not that you got fired, but that <laughs> you're like, ooh, look a package for me. If I could do that, I would. 
Uh, yep. We can juggle. Yep. Oh, and that's will finally get get my first shipment of the uh, Starfinder miniatures that I kickstarted. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. And you your your turn's already over, so I just remembered it though. <laughs> just Camden edit it. <laughs> You're not wrong. What's going on in your realm, Justin? Um, I'm glad you asked, Brandon. Thanks to Camden, who took a lot of a lot of the time that I was spending every day was editing. Um, and he has taken on that responsibility. So I've replaced that with um, more research and new projects that I want to do to bring rewards to our patrons, including stuff like uh, potentially doing like a flavor of the month where we discuss what we kind of discussed just a few minutes ago in our monthly Patreon uh, patron pals, where I re I do like a. Uh, a professional draw up of a ty- entirely reflavoring of a class from a mechanic standpoint, it might be a mage, but everything else and flavor wise, it's a mage with a hand cannon, you know, and, and stuff like that. Um, something similar to what we did with our um, the barbarian yep. uh, episode with uh, Troy on it. Something similar to that. Um, so we got a lot of likes from that, so that kind of was driving that. As well as I got some really good comments on some stuff to do with uh, the fans. So hey, yeah, Justin, what? from Sam. Hey, Justin, update on the one-shot campaign being written. One play test. Anything new? The seafaring one. The seafaring one. Actually, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, so, apparently, so I, the name of the adventure that I'm writing is called The Rise of Damador. Apparently, Damador is the name of a character in one of the stupid D&D movies. So, I don't know if I should change his name now. Because it, it's, it's a name of, uh, it's an alternate name of Vishnu, right? And so, that's where I came up with it. But I just happened to be uh, scrolling through Twitter and freaking uh, Aram from God's Fall is dressed up as Damador. I'm like, well, who the hell is that? Turns out it's one of the guys from the stupid movie. Somebody should burn all those things and, or bury them like they did with the E.T. game. Uh, but yes, yeah, so, that makes more than money. <laughs> so as far as uh, progress with that, um, the maps are almost done. Um, all the NPCs are done. Uh, or at least that I have currently planned in the adventure. Uh, we are per- currently running a test run of it, which, again, is on Wednesday as of this recording. What time? Is our second one. Uh, six, I think, is what we said. Six, okay. 6.30-ish, somewhere around I there. knew it was coming up. I just remember um, when. So we've, we're playtesting it internally first right now. Um, and honestly, I'm going to be honest, I change HP a lot when I run a game. And I haven't run one with, like, the raw stats and HP of a monster in a long time. And I didn't realize how long it takes. Um, I'm big on changing that because I like to keep pace. You know, I like to have a certain pace. And I forgot how much it slows down when you are trying to track all that stuff and keep it within what the book says for testing reasons. So that was kind of a letdown. (laughs) I get to play with Thork again. Yeah, Thork. Uh, but it went great. It was really fun. I think all the players had had fun, had a good time. Um, they got tossed into the water and dragged, and I'm pretty sure one of them lost their weapons as they Thork. got stuck to, uh, Thork. Stuck to the, sh- the <laughs> shield of one of the uh, Kuatoa guys, but uh, he kind of swimmed off with it. So... Ermi left at Thork for that. Uh, yeah, so it's it's coming. Um, the problem that I'm running into right now is that uh, <laughs> it was Nathan's character. His hammer was stolen too. So it was your weapon and Nathan. No, 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 no. It was his weapon, not mine. Oh, okay. It was, oh, Thork is his character. Yes. What was yours? Ermi. Oh, I'm thinking Thork, <laughs> which is your other character, right? But anyway, yeah. So he lost his hammer, so that was really great. Um, and we're pre- we're play testing it. It's going really well. Um, the only other thing that I would say about it is that. Um, because I'm trying to finish up the unearthed, uh, the UTT, the unearthed uh, tips and tricks book, um, I've got almost all that is written right now. Uh, it's going through editing and formatting right now, um, and then I got to put pictures and stuff. So I'm kind of working on both those things simultaneously because I can't focus on one thing for too long. So I'm kind of going back and forth between them. So they're both coming a little slow, but we're making a lot of progress on both. 
I think that'll do it for In the Realms. Brandon, <laughs> if they'd like to visit other realms, how can they do that? Oh, they can go to CritiCami.com, and they can find a link to Audible. And there, you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial. Just sign up for the free trial, get a free book, and quit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, moving on to our next topic, we have Let's Talk About Blank. Now, this is a segment where we answer listener-submitted questions. We have a question from Brian Signs. Okay, so Eldritch Blast at a spot across the room. Would it hit an invisible target in the line? Yes. No. No. What? Why do you think it would? Because they're, they're invisible. doesn't mean they're just not there. Okay, that's the right line of thinking, but the wrong verbiage. So... Uh, Eldritch Blast is not a line effect. Alright, so the actual ruling would be attack with disadvantage. I actually agree with that. Because you can't see the opponent doesn't mean you can't smell them, you can't hear them, thump, thump, thump. You can guess their general location and you can hit them. Smell them. But it oh, wouldn't, it stinks right in that direction. It wouldn't be a line effect. Per the rules, Eldritch Blast is not a line spell. But you would make an attack at disadvantage. Period. I think that's the, that's, no. No. Sam's wrong. He agrees with Brandon. <laughs> well, what if it's that they're not trying to hit the invisible creature, but they're trying to hit a visible wall? I would still tell them to make a attack roll, because that's what the spell calls for. And the wall, the DC of the wall would probably well, be a success. And it's not the invisible creature's fault that he's in the way of the bolt. Well, I think what he's trying to say, though, is he, you're not trying to aim for the for the invisible creature because you don't know it's there. It just happens to be in the path that the bolt's traveling to. It's like a that's bird. Tra- that's a train a of thought, which I totally understand, but... I, I, I agree that that's a train of thought, but per the rules, yeah. it should be disadvantage. Per the on rules. On the attack roll. Suck it. So, that being said, but you're not what really... you could say is there's a rule There's a rule for cover, right? Yeah. You could argue that the wall has cover from the invisible target, right? So, if it hits the target's AC, it's going to hit the target instead of the wall, right? There, I don't know the exact rules on hitting behind cover, but um, there is an optional rule in there for hitting cover. Yeah. Including other players and objects. So Yeah. And keep in mind, too... It's a game, game at the end of the day, and the, the rules are flexible as long as you have fun, so... Yes. And as long as you can come up with a logical answer for why, do what you do. Yes, but from a raw standpoint, it's disadvantage. Right. Attack <laughs> of course. Period. That being said, I can see an argument made for both. So, yep. honestly, you're right. Yeah. I hope you... you do, you want, uh, do you want Camden to cut that out so he can repeat it back to you over and over? Because that probably won't happen again. You're right, Ian. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's going to go into the intro. <laughs> um, so uh, <laughs> Even a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> that's true. Uh, that'll do it for our Let's Talk About Blank segment. Uh, Brian Signs, we hope we answered your question. If we didn't, it's their fault because I actually had a nice, solid answer, and they actually swayed me away from my own answer. <laughs> so uh, I blame them. So send a letter to the complaint department addressed to these bastards and tell them that they just confused you and with $5 stash. Yeah, that's money. For that. It's not for you. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you writing on my notepad? Because Why don't you it, get your own goddamn notepad? It has 60 more pages quit being a bitch. Yeah, shut up. I'll whack you with my notepad. <laughs> In the head. All right, so that'll do it for our Let's Talk About Blank segment. 
Um, moving on to our main topic, I'm really excited for this one. We're going to be talking about Cloak and Dagger Adventures. Um, anybody that's watched those Ocean Eleven movies and only Ocean Eleven because the other one sucked, um, or those those you know those old heist movies where it's all about getting in, getting the jewels, and getting out alive. You know those uh, <laughs> Blue Streak. <laughs> Blue Streak is a really good movie. If you haven't seen it, can't recommend it enough. Funniest shit in the world. Um, uh, everyone loves those types of adventures, and unfortunately, the most common adventure is kill the monster, loot the room, kill the weapon, kill the weapon. <laughs> <gasps> Um, so those types of adventures are really uh, are really interesting because they aren't all about stab and run away or stab and kill everything in sight. They require a very s- particular set of skills. But <sighs> come on, that yeah, was good, right? I believe uh, Shadowrun may have prepped me for this type of scenario. Oh, good, and I was counting on that. So we'll see how that goes because I've got some notes here, but you're gonna have to elaborate yep. on some stuff. I should say this. For those of you who play Shadowrun and try to do high stuff in D&D, the bad news is you don't have access to the internet. But the good news is your enemies don't have access to the internet. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so for uh, Cloak and Dagger Adventures, the simplest example that I can think of is, uh, and pretty common one, is the evil baron in the mansion needs to be slain, right? And due to his security, it, you can't just barge right in, right? You can't just kick down the door and walk in. You'll, you'll be overrun, whether there's too many of them, they just outnumber you, or if they're just too strong to engage directly. Or right? they're high-paid mercenaries, they're too good for you. Yeah, so um, that's another good example that I've seen before. Oh, is it? I haven't seen it. it. Is, what was, happens in that? I was watching uh, Jesse's brother uh, playing Hitman. Oh, and, yeah, that makes so sense. One of the submissions missions was... You're in this tux. You're too obvious. Take down a guard with no, no no noticing. Steal their equipment. Get to the head honcho. Lure him away. Snap his neck and just leave. Yeah, because what happens if you get noticed? The uh, the whole mission fails. You have to start over again. Right, but they don't give you a logical reason why that happens, do they? That it's too big of a the the place gets you know locked down and you can't escape and they're just gonna die. Yep. Yeah. Or just everyone, 20 guys appear out of nowhere and bust a cap in your ass. That's more Metal Gear Solid. Well, whatever. Anyways, um, <laughs> so in that example, that's that's a pretty pretty straightforward mission. But in something like this, there should be additional. There should be a secondary goal. Okay, your goal is to sneak into the evil Baron's mansion and slay him. But one of the other players might have to also secure a document. Or swap documents. Or swap documents. That's a good one. I like that. And... If you're to mur- if you're to slay this guy, is there a particular technique that needs to be done? Can, it can doesn't have to be something far more subtle than just stabbing him and leaving a, a, a bloody corpse. Does it have to be uh, a poison? Does it have to be you know uh, uh, make it look like a suicide? He hung himself. You know those are the types of things that should be coming into play in a uh, an adventure in an adventure that's all about sneaky. Ooh, and cloak and dagger stuff. Stuff is bound into a bag of holding and throw that into the fireplace. <laughs> um, and the other thing is, is are these options something that are dictated to them by the person, get the employer, the person giving them the quest, or is it something that they get to choose? Does the person say, "Oh, I don't care how you kill him, whatever"? Okay, we're gonna burn the whole place down. Come on, Pookie, let's burn this motherfucker down, you know? Or is it okay? Well, let's just go in and snap his neck and leave. So tiny onions like flavor crystals that <laughs> burst in your mouth when you bite into them. <laughs> uh, you know, does. Does do, does the person want uh, a sense an I- sense of irony? You know, they were maybe the employer in him wants you to poison his favorite meal, right? They think that's the best way to do it, so that becomes your your mission. You know, do do they ask you to bring back the head as proof that you you succeeded? 
Ooh, and do you have a uh, deadline? Ooh, that's a good one. Oh. Do you have a deadline? Because, you know, all that stuff really comes super important. Now, um, I mean, let, let's face it. If you have, like, we need it done by tomorrow or a week or even a month or maybe a month or two, that gives you some wiggle room and some options for some prep work. Um, the other thing is to consider is, okay, once they succeed, what do they have? Uh, um, what happens when they succeed? Is it they just have to leave? Um, are they supposed to do something else? You mentioned swap documents. Maybe they have to plant evidence. Maybe they have to look like somebody else was responsible for said said issue, right? Said slaying. So we're here to take this guy out, but we got to make guy A wants us to kill guy C, and guy A also wants us to make it look like guy B did it, right? Yeah. So then you now have two missions. You have to go and collect the information from guy B that can point the murder to him when you go to kill guy C. I probably should give these guys names instead of just A, B, and C, but whatever. It works. <laughs> that's, how we, that's how I do it in my notes. <laughs> guy A, guy B, guy C. <laughs> it's up to you guys to keep up with that. There's Camden. Uh, there he is. He's tardy to the party. Sorry, guys. Um, it's that new job he'd be cracking up on. This is from Sam. Something else is the communication lines that occur outside the player's control or ears. A mark can be killed by the player, and the person who asked will likely find out without evidence from the player. The other thing to consider when uh, sne- when you're doing uh, um, the, the, the this type of adventure, the purpose is stealth. That's the goal, right? To be yep. undetected. Once again, coming back to maybe there's too many pl- monsters or too many enemies or they're just outright too strong. Because you can do a successful stealth mission where the guards and monsters are above the player's level. Yep. It becomes a little bit more challenging, but then it, let's say you got a gr- group that is all rogues. That's the challenge they want, right? Because you know that in a normal encounter, most of the time, the... <laughs> You know that the, the, the guards, are gonna, their passive perception is not going to be super high alert, though they might have advantage or something because of uh, them being on high alert all the time. But anyways, the purpose is stealth and to remain uh, undetected. So if you're the DM running this, it's important to describe stealth in many different ways. You're not just thinking of stealth, the stealth check, which I think is what comes to everyone's mind when you start, right? Or if you have time, get that job as a butler. At the place. <laughs> <gasps> Be there prior to it happening. Is it the guards are coming on? It's like, we're on high alert. Oh, how you doing? Hi, hey. Jeff. <laughs> Just shifty eyes. They don't suspect a thing. <laughs> oh. it's, like, it's like that picture I saw from uh, Toys R Us. It's got all uh, Marvel heroes, and it's got Batman in the background. And someone took a picture and said, I've been here for 68 days. They still don't know I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, that's actually pretty important. So let's we'll start with the, the roles, right? When people are doing stealth and checks, if you're doing something um, and running an adventure, you really have to engage the person who's doing the stealth checks. They roll 23. Okay, hey, their passive perception of the enemy is 11. Make sure you're describing them, pinching themselves up against the wall and dashing between, you know, shadowy parts on the wall. And, and you, you know, you see a, a, a guard walk by and you dive into the bush. Um, or you, you know, gradually peek your head around a corner and as the guard is passing you, you're walking along, you're, you're circling the outside of the tree or a barrel or you really want to make sure you engage that aspect. Ah, uh, the barrel. Of the how D&D they're doing. version of a cardboard box. <laughs> you don't ever want to what say. What that noise? <laughs> you don't always just want to say, okay, you're stealthy or you think you're stealthy. That's my favorite line. If they roll, you think you're stealthy. And then when they fail, you go, you're not stealthy. You're going, clang, clang, clang. <laughs> but the point is, is um, you yeah. really want to engage all those different things. And but straight up, stealth checks aren't the only option. You guys just touched on a really good one: the disguise kit. 
I wasn't talking disguises at all. He goes talking about disguises. Oh, you just talking about getting a job there? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. That's some real deep, deep shit right there. <laughs> like, what are you doing with your downtime? Uh, I'm going to get a job there. <laughs> that's a good one. I like that. I didn't think, I think of that. Actually, that was in a movie, uh, Law Abiding Citizen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just get, went and got a job there? Was uh, become le- The guy that was uh, put in jail in the movie found a way to get out of jail, and he's going in and out or whatever. But this place that he plans on blowing up. He was an employee there for like months, so people just don't suspect him. Don't suspect him. And while they're letting him through the middle of the detector, like, hey, how's it going? Hey, Rob. He's going to setting up bombs in the middle of the So that's a really good one. So uh, I was thinking disguises, but that's a good one. Plan this stuff out as the DM or as the player that you can come up with these ideas. If you talk to your DM, say, hey, okay, we're going to do this. Is there a time limit that we have to do? Will they give you three weeks? Okay, well, maybe that's not as reasonable, right? Challenge accepted. <laughs> but if there's no time limit, you can say, well, I think the first thing we should do is try to get jobs in the area in case the place. You know what I mean? I get jobs in the area. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing I want to talk about is the disguises, right? Wearing disguises is a, a very strong tool for sneaking around. You can walk right in the open with a good disguise. Or if you're a spellcaster, you can change your disguise on the fly. <laughs> Yes, uh, bringing something like a glamour spell, like alter self. Yep. So those types of things can become super critical into this. You know, maybe you need to. <laughs> I just thought about the uh, bird that's always up there on the wall. It's like a druid spying. <laughs> that's a great example. <laughs> now, as players, it co- it's up to you guys to come up with these sort of things too. Say, so, there's no reason a DM's going to say no. You can't do that. Now, if it's the same bird landing in the same spot repeatedly, then they might get a little suspicious. But if you're making an effort to, to hide around and just get close enough to listen. But the flip side is a crow that doesn't seem like something a crow would do. <laughs> call, motherfucker, call. <laughs> That's the uh, Samuel L. Jackson <laughs> crow. <laughs> oh, I don't know what happened. Let's go through that again. Call, call, bang, fuck, I'm dead. <laughs> um, so some of the other uh, ways you can help re- uh, main in, uh, remain in stealth is bribery. A lot of those guards in those jobs don't get paid diddly, and they are quick to turn on for, for a couple gold pieces. And I know this is something that I don't feel like is used as often as it should. People always say, well, what can I do with all this gold I got? You can bribe an entire city to follow you. Great. Nothing about that one scene in John Wick when he sneaks up behind the guard. Hey, Tom. Oh, hey, John. <laughs> <laughs> you, you lost weight. I have. You might want to leave. Just so you know. Okay. <laughs> so that that comes. So if you go and make an effort to meet with the different guards in the tavern, either maybe you dig up some dirt, or you just say, "Hey, look, honestly, I have a real problem with this guy in here, and you can give me access to him, and I'm willing to pay you three years' salary." Okay. And they, they, there's in there's <laughs> in most cases there's no reason why they wouldn't accept that. Now, I, as a DM, you could call for a persuasion roll. Or, or, a, or a bluff check, I think, a deception check specifically, right? To to do this, or if a player thought of it to me, I, I would probably give him advantage or just let him roll with it if it was a logical reason. It'd be persuasion. Yeah. Uh, what does high level stealth rolls mean? Let's say someone succeeds on stealth roll of a 20 DC. How do you feel a player rolling 25 versus a player rolling 30? Is something particularly high for their level? Okay, uh, this comes from Sam. Um, so personally, it would all be in the description of how they are stealthy. So let's say um, you get a, a tw- the, the, the DC is 20 and somebody gets a 25 in your example. So what I would do is all be in the description. It might be something a little more common as uh, let's say you're trying you're, you're inside of a uh, 
like the uh, a keep and you're dashing between the uh, the barrels and you you see a couple guards kind of look this way you duck in and you as soon as they you know pop up you swiftly jump into the barrel and stick your legs out the bottom and start crawling around you know it's very <laughs> it's very obvious and not as graceful but it could be stealthy enough to get by some people while the other guy who rolled a 30 might jump into the shadows and then skimmy up the wall like Jackie Chan and run along the top uh, barrier uh, in the shadow of the light. Or uh, Casper vs. Bravity is crawling along the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think when it comes down to those different roles, um, it really comes down to how cool you want the scene to be. Um, you could do one of those ones where they like walk up behind the person, you know, and they, they mimic the person's walking as they're going. You know what I'm talking about? Like in a cartoon or something? Something comical like that would be really good for a high roll because then the, the player is just taunting the enemy and the enemy doesn't know it. Um, so those are the types of things that I think I would probably do, but it would definitely depend on the setting. Um, you could also be where the one person might, uh, say they, they give a stealth check and they've got thermaturgy or, or, or some other ability where they can douse, you know, douse fire or make it dimmer so they could, they can make the light flicker in their favor. Um, the player didn't say that, but that would be some flavor that I personally would add on to it. Um, and there's always the good old fashioned distraction method. Uh, well, before we get on to that, because that's the next bullet point, um, Sam also asks, or he says, how long do you let a given role last? Uh, let's say someone is sneaking into a castle and there are like four different possible viewpoints uh, to stealth past. Uh, how many roles would you call for? Um, I think that would depend. If there were guards stationed at each of those points, it would require an individual stealth check probably from each of them personally um, because there's active guards. If they rolled exceptionally well, I might require them less rolls than that and just say, okay, you got, you got a 30, right? 30 is really high. You got a 30, so I'm just going to say that passes by the first couple, but you're still going to have to roll additional as you're stealthing because when they're sneaking through, uh, let's, we're going to keep using the keep or a mansion as an example because those are kind of the most common ones. If they're sneaking, the environment is changing. Yep. So while you succeeded walking on the stone, oh, it turned into a creaky floor. The stealth check's not going to apply to that. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you Fuck. Okay. I just remembered one time where I... There was no logical reason for why a character in one game today had a stealth roll. Five rolls so freaking high that DM couldn't say no either. That's wrong. DM can always say no. I would say you think you're stealthy. Then you get shot in the head. I mean, it's like the D&D equivalent, like, you can't walk through a, an open ballroom during a dance. I roll a 50. What? Okay, so a good example of, okay, so I wouldn't say they couldn't do it, but it would become more like the Assassin's Creed guy, right? Yep. Where you're, you're, you're blending in, you know, uh, and you're, you're swiftly moving suit. with them. Or in your rogue suit. Well, but, so those are types of things that the DM would have to weigh, like giving you disadvantage for something so obvious, you know. Uh, okay, I look 45. Because being, being stealth doesn't make you invisible, just so you know. No. Um, but I've also often told people, okay, just because the, the, you were <laughs> rolled stealthy does not necessarily mean that they don't see you as much as you're less noticeable than the other guy. Yes. So, <laughs> okay, so that, that actually leads great into our next point. Um, stealth doesn't have to be just a, a plain stealth. Stealth. It could also be in the form of a distraction. You walk in, you're talking about walking through the ballroom. Yep. If you throw a glass high into the air and it lands over there, Odds are right onto like onto a server, and they knock over a bunch of dishes. Odds are everyone's gonna look that way. Yep. So that could be an example of a stealth check. 
you distracted everyone, and then you ran this way while they were all looking over here. Or the uh, bard rolls really high on his performance check in the square that's outside the mansion. <laughs> yeah, so the bard is creating a distraction, might even grant advantage to the stealth check for the the um, person sneaking in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so distractions is a really good one. In a lot of the, the movies and the games, there's a lot of misdirection that just happens with stupid stuff, like balloons and noises. Hey, guard up there on the wall! Have you requests? <laughs> <laughs> so those, sort, those sorts of things are what are interesting, right? Um, can you think of any uh, examples right off the uh, uh, t- top of the dome there of good distractions? Yeah, th- thermaturgy. Like, if you're in a place where magic is not common, and these hallways are lit by torches, and you see guards walking along, and he was thermoturgy to make one of these flames burst into this blue or green or uncommon color, like I think he was saying earlier. It's not a common thing. You look over and be like, hey, what's that about? That's an odd shade of orange. That's an odd shade of orange. <laughs> that's blue. No, it's just a weird-looking orange. <laughs> oh, look, 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 look at that parched dress. Uh, it's just beautiful blue and black. Really? I thought it's white and gold. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't resist. <laughs> yeah. uh, wow, that's old. That was a couple of years ago, right? Uh, it's purple. It's purple. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, when you're thinking of stealth, don't think oh, of it. In, think of it in a much broader sense. Not that they're just clearly being sneaky. Obviously, putting on a disguise is and in, in glamour is a little bit different. But for the most part, I would classify these all a form of stealth. Okay. I mean, the example. I always give the appropriate less noticeable. It's like, it's not that they don't see your rogue, it's just they know some way less than the guy with the big sword at the wizard casting fireballs. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not going to start, Ed, we're not going to start the Yanni yeah, versus Yanni Laurel thing. Laurel. That doesn't make sense. No, yeah. I because don't know. one word starts with a yeah, the other is a law. And yet, people keep hearing both. <laughs> yeah, people. I don't. Anyways, let's, we're not getting into that bullshit. I, we, I we're never, not the fucking view. We don't talk about that stupid shit. Yes, we actually <laughs> talk about worse, don't we? <laughs> I was about to say. Well, what do you call the view with men? The scene? <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, when setting up an objective oh, good, for God. this sort of encounter, use these various tools to represent the need for stealth. Because um, remember, when setting an objective, these various tools of stealth need to be the weapon of choice to overcome the encounter not the sword. I cannot stress that enough. You need to, if you want this to succeed, that needs to be the focus. Yes, you can have a skirmish here and there, but what happens when they kill somebody? What are they going to do with the body? So now they're lugging this fucking body around, you know? Into the barrel. (laughs) (laughs) Into the barrel? Yeah, so, so okay. You toss them into the barrel. What happens if, you know, somebody stumbles? That happens to be the wine wine barrels. Somebody happens to look in it. Do you then give them a check to see if they stuff and hide it good? Yep. It's what I would do. So those those sorts of things are are need to be uh, options, and you need to make sure there's plenty of options for the player. Now for the DM, that means you either got to plan a lot, or you got to be ready to roll with anything, um, because. Players aren't always going to know that they can't just run in and kill things, especially if that's how you normally run your games, right? That they can just mow everything down. You have to make it absolutely clear to them at the start that raw brute force is not going to cut it. Get it? Not going to cut it? <laughs> but that's... No? Okay. <laughs> I just have a fun way to assassinate somebody as a druid. <laughs> oh, yeah? Don't you tell me crawl in their goddamn ear and go big, because no. that doesn't work. No. Okay. Uh, basically, like catch a spell so you control the weather, make a thunderstorm, call lightning. <laughs> That's nice. I like that. Um, so uh, players should always have these options available when they're dealing with this type of challenge. If you're trying to push them towards this sort of challenge, then it needs to be multi-layered. Um, 
We're what? onion. Like like an ogre. <laughs> um, and uh, you've heard us talk about skill challenges uh, on this. I don't know that we've talked too much about skill challenges. It uh, was very much the 4th edition thing. Yeah. So in 4th edition, you could set up uh, what's called a skill challenge where the team as a whole needed to make so many successes before so many failures. So you might say, okay, uh, regardless of what they decide to do, in the challenges ahead, they have to succeed at least six times before failing five times. Right, and then you have to have a condition of what happens in either. But either of those conditions should still drive the story forward. If that means somebody is lost in the process, they might still succeed at killing the Baron. But uh oh, the Druid got caught, you know, or the the monk got caught, or, or, or something like yeah. that. The uh, Druid got caught by the house cat because he turned into a rat. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> but um, so it's important to do uh, to to think about those sort of things. And I personally, for me, a skill challenge makes the most sense for something like this because it's basically a, a rating system to to determine their success. Yes, they can fail in a few things, but what happens when they fail? Um, which kind of leads us into the next thing is how do you engage them? Well, the, aside from the goal, the environment is the next important thing. Uh, for those who use a grid, remember the world is a lot bigger. And far more detailed than what's on that little squares. Um, I can't stress that enough. The rogue has job as a cook. He poisons the baron's meal. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. I like that. And that's a pretty common one, too. Um, the details become extremely important uh, in this sort of setting. Um, so if you've got a grid, make sure that your pl- players are clearly aware that unless you can draw every possible scenario on that little grid, which somebody might, I can't, but somebody might, um, they have to, you, have to be, uh, you have to let them know that there's more than what's just there. Um, and your descriptions come important, uh, come, become important then. Um, so some examples of the environment, things that change nonstop, right? The environment is things that are around you and things that are going to engage the, the players. Patrolling guards, probably the number one, right? Mm-hmm. Every game you run into has patrolling guards, right? Oh, yeah. So um, if the patrolling guards and they got to get past them, do they have to do a stakeout, right? You know you are screwed when an exclamation point appears above their heads. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not a video game, so it's not that simple. But, um, so if the, the patrolling guards are consistent, do they have a change pattern, right? If they change at certain times, when do they change? How can we find that out? Go to a tavern, meet some guys, dress up as somebody else, you know? Um, use those tools to get that information of the changing of the guard, because that's going to be important. What, uh, okay, when, uh, oh, they're short a guy. Maybe you guys make them short a guy. Maybe you manage to smack one and split his throat, and one of you shows up the next day looking for a job. Back to what you guys said earlier. Or you pay off a guy as you quit his job. Or you pay off a guy. That's good. I like that. So um, for dealing with that patrolling guards, yes, you, you could probably get away with fighting one or two of them, Ooh. but they're going to have... You don't pay off the guy. You intentionally lose a game of poker against them. Okay. And just let him walk away with that where he does like the I'm rich, bitch, I'm done? Yes. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> that, that seems like that, that you would have to really have quite a bit in that pot, though. Yeah. Right? Um, but... Uh, Sam says, uh, would you say a rogue with spider climb and sticks to the ceiling when stealthing would have advantage due to people never looking up? Um, Depends on the uh, architecture of the building. Hmm? Yes. Um, I would say they still smell and they still make noise. And not to mention, the center room, too, is about eight feet tall. And even if you're going down the hallway and you're on the other side of the hallway, you're still going to see the ceiling. Yeah, and, and <laughs> passive perception is designed to co- kind of cover that area, cover yeah. that kind of awareness, even if they're not normally looking up. You mentioned the architecture. If the floor plan was high enough, then probably. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking like cathedral size, yeah, totally. But in your same issue hallway, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. Depending on how high it is, because their head level is going to be about the same, unless they're crawling. If they were crawling across, like on all fours. But even then, that still covers what we already Perception, said. Perception. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I probably wouldn't grant uh, advantage um, for that. But anyways, I also feel like you could, you could have fun with minor illusions too, with to distract guards. Mm. Yes. See, now those sorts of things I think would really help with this sort of thing. Um, any sort of illu- we talked about glamour earlier. Any sort of illusion really, because you can make the ceiling look a little lower than it is mm-hmm. and hide you. <laughs> and they have they would have to use an action to suspect and check to see if even if it was real. Um, what are some other environment uh, things that uh, they would run into in this sort of uh, game? Rooftops, the run across sewers, and, and parkour, 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 hardcore parkour. Rooftops, oh, yeah, sewers, so, aqueducts, rafters. You know, did you say that already? Chandeliers. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that's in the in the world for the. There needs to be a lot of stuff for them to interact with. Not just we talked about going through the ballroom. Not just walking straight through the ballroom, right? The the daily wine delivery. Uh, oh, see that, and so kind of kind of harkening back to the staking out. Those could be things that you could add as the DM that there's a daily carrier. There's a, would you say, wine delivery? Yep. A daily wine delivery or, or buy, you know, buy a weekly wine delivery, something along those lines. That if you put those points in there for the players to uh, look for, those are options for them to get in because now they can easily just walk in because who's going to turn away wine? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And now in that case, if somebody decided to uh, dress as the. Um, Dresses the, the the wine dealer. I'd probably give them advantage on their their persuasion check to get in, or their deception yeah. check to hide, or whatever check you decide they need. Guard, guard, the yard. Oh, but we weren't told there's gonna be a wine delivery. Here. Look, man, I was just told to make a delivery. I don't ask questions. I just do my job. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. Um, so uh, other things that really get you know you mentioned the rooftops. Going from rooftop to rooftop. Um, hey, oh, <laughs> jumping can be really loud. Right, jumping from rooftop to rooftop might create a little bit of clatter Woo-hoo! up on the roof. <laughs> I just pictured totally a scenario where you assassinate the guy by jumping roof to roof, just as Santa Claus. What was that? Oh, oh, oh. oh okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sam, make, you make a really great point, Sam. Uh, rem- uh, he says, uh, remember that the players help in this detail uh, of the world building. The DM doesn't think of everything. And even if it ultimately benefits the player, end of the day, we play to the game to have fun. <laughs> that goes back to what we said earlier, that um, is, if you go in prepared, remember that the players should have as much to impact in designing the world. If he says, hey, is there any pole that I can use to pole vault across the rooftops? There certainly is now. Or you can just say, yeah, yeah, you actually spot some. Or give them a check. If they roll really low, say, no, you don't find nothing. No, 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 no. They roll really low. They find the pole. They think it's long enough. (laughs) (laughs) Or it breaks when they're crossing and they fall down and splat right onto a guard or something. You know, so so, uh, Sam is 100% right. (laughs) It's Uh, not the jump, it's the landing. (laughs) Uh so uh, the other thing uh, to consider, uh, we talked about distractions earlier. Most of the nobles in most places that would be some sort of gathering or a hideout or, or something have like horse stables, right? Yep. Um, horse, horses are a great way to create distractions, right? If you can whack them and get them riled up and then set them loose, 
that's going to send everyone chasing after him. Drop a weasel into the horse barn. <laughs> are horses really afraid of weasels? They are now. <laughs> <laughs> give, them, give them one made by Acme? Okay. <laughs> Try our new Acme pole. It is bigger. It is harder. It is longer. And it's just what you need. The boss says, warning, if you weigh more than 10 pounds, this will break. <laughs> um, Wait, get some in the shaft. Uh, <laughs> uh, another thing that's really important in an environment like this is traps. Um, <laughs> that's what she said. Um, is traps. Traps become super important as well. Um, because if you are a, uh, a, let's say, quote unquote, a bad person or even a wealthy person, you're going to take precautions, right? Yep. Let's assume for a second that magic is everywhere. You're probably going to have something that triggers when somebody enters that cast magic or that does some sort of uh, magical effects. You know, there's a, there's a magical spell called alarm, right? If this window is open or broken, a bell rings. Yeah, like <laughs> the alarm spell. So you got to think that as a DM that those sorts of things will be in place as well. Glyphs of, uh, glyphs of uh, anti-magic or something, you know. So little things like that so the a wizard can't just, you know, poof, poof, you know, back in and out. Or glyphs of exploding. What does the alarm trap spell look like? I imagine whatever you want it to do. I think it gives an example, but... I think it just covers an area. Yeah, um, but I don't think it gives a... I think it gives a general example of what it's supposed to look like. Does it? Somebody open it up. Quick, go. Yeah, just like it's just an invisible yep. thing. Yep. I would say it's invisible. Yep. So how, so how would the players react to that if they open a window, shink, and it goes... <laughs> you know, it's something like that that's like really loud. Afro, circus Afro. <laughs> and it draws all the guards to that location. Um, once again, if the players are doing the reconnaissance, they can learn stuff like that from the guards, right? The guards will be aware of stuff like that to avoid because they might set this trap off at a certain time, you know? So you, uh, as the DM, be kind of uh, plan for that sort of thing. And we talk about the glyph alarm, which might be probably, I would say, be the most common for lower levels. But for higher levels, you know, glyphs of anti-magic fields or, or something along that line, you know? You can make a glyph out of any magic spell. Just say it's a glyph, you know? Yep. Now, you don't need a an actual spell called the glyph of whatever. Um, mages can empower items and that's shit That's where like homebrew that. comes in. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't even homebrew. I just say it's there. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, that's homebrewing. <laughs> <laughs> Sam says, damn it, I need a soundboard for my D&D game. <laughs> uh, but anyways, um, so the other thing I want to talk about is something that's very common to noble families in mansions is how do they, how do they get their food? They all go hunting, right? And Or, or they have kitchens. Oh, shut up, dude! <laughs> for sport, most mo I would say that most like nobles in most uh, um, groups would have some sort of hunting dog or Who hunting wolf hounds? or some yes, something along those lines. So if you toss those sort of things in there, um, it being invisible doesn't help, right? So that's a way to overcome something that can go invisible, you know? Or that creates an opportunity to create a hunting accident. Ooh. Ooh, that is good. I like that. So instead of trying to break into the noble's house or the baron's house, you just wait for him to leave. Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's subtle, but I would totally give you full credit if you came up with something. Okay, I can spell someone an owl bear. <laughs> nice. I like that. That's really good. Um, so adding, uh, adding wolves and stuff like that will create another challenge that helps deal with people who are very stealthy or who can go invisible and, and because they can, they can smell them out, right? They get advantage in all perception checks with their nose. So if they were out you know, to the bar hanging out with the um, the uh, guards and they change goals with the guards, 
the do- the wolves or dogs or hounds might actually recognize them or recognize the scent. So maybe that's a way to get past by something like that, or just sleeping them all or, or some sort of animal companion spell of love. You know, um, uh, what else we got for environment, fellas? Light. Mm-hmm. Light's probably the biggest one. This is where, because uh, no sane person is going to break into daylight. But you mentioned time being a, an issue, right? Yep. What if you Could have be. no choice to do it but in, in daylight time? Okay, guys. How good your nails? Why? We got to go through the sewers. Dang it! <laughs> <laughs> so we mentioned thermaturgy, and there's a collection of other smells, gu- smells, spells. You know, gust of wind, an example, can put out stuff. So being able to put out torches and sconces can really grant advantage and, and give you what you need. Of course, if you've got a guard that's going around in circles, and he comes out and one of those things is out, he might notice. Or he might might be set on alert. So you got to kind of uh, think of those uh, way, those things as well. Or he's an idiot. Huh. Torch is out. I'll go get a new one. <laughs> and then leaves his post <laughs> instead of walking to another sconce and lighting it. Um, the last things uh, we, we kind of touched on already, so I'm not going too much, is, is crowds. Crowds make for a great challenge because if your goal is to ma- murder somebody at a masquerade, um, stabbing really is probably not an option. Not if you do it right. Okay, <laughs> Uh, right. I mean, under the right circumstances, it can always be done, but maybe it needs to be more subtle than that. Right. Uh, maybe all the lights go out, and then it comes back on, and he's dead. Then you get a murder mystery. It leads bum, to, bum, it, bum. Your, your, your cloak and dagger just rolled into a murder mystery, so there you go. So the butler did it! Right when D&D turns into Clue. <laughs> Which is not a bad thing. I like Clue. Um... Hello, mustard. Where's the candlestick in the conservatory? <laughs> uh, the other thing that uh, is a big deal in these sort of uh, uh, cloak and dagger style uh, sequences is what happens when the adventurers are caught in the act, because they can't succeed every time, right? Nope. Unless you let them. If you let them succeed, well, then why bother rolling the game at all? Just say you guys get there. It's the story that counts, right? So, in this case, what happens if the okay the 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 wizard is trying to sneak past an open door and gets distracted by this little relic on a podium and turns to look at it just long enough that somebody catches him and they shout guards and now everyone's chasing you. That naturally is a chase scene. Now, in some sequences, people will probably just try to shoot him, right? Yeah. And fight, stab him. Um, But if you've got an entire room, you probably, well, mage might fireball him, I guess. (laughs) Um, the goal is that they, they can't just settle it with uh, stuff like that, so they're probably going to have to run away or uh, uh, something along those lines, right? Leading, leading into a chase. Okay, guards, you're probably wondering why I am here. You are not going to believe this. <laughs> <laughs> um, remember that um, if you haven't done a chase scene, we I think we've talked, have we done an episode on that? I don't know. If, have we done an episode on chase? I feel like it's come up. I'm not sure if we talked about it in depth. I don't know. When infiltrating or doing cooking dagger dagger missions, what extent do you employ maps? Um, you're asking the wrong person because I don't. Um, yeah, he never uses maps. And if I do, it's a map for me and not the players. As much as you want. Yeah, and this kind of harkens back to you asking uh, Sam asking about whether um, how long does a stealth last. Um, for me, it would be every challenge point, right, or every branch. We've talked before um, story branches. Wherever there's a chance for something to go wrong, technically there probably should be a check, right? Sure. Make one check for getting down the hall. Okay, there's three different doors they're going to pass. I'm going to say that's one challenge, right? But there's a guard on the other side of the door, you know, so that would require no check. So um, it's going to be up to you to decide 
how much to use the map. I don't personally, but I know that's because that's my my gameplay style now. Um, before when I played 4E, that's all we used. Well, you got had to worry. <laughs> and I hated, I hated. Okay, I'm gonna stealth. All right, I'm done. You're in a stealth. Click, 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 click. Move ten paces. You're done. Or six or whatever it was. They double move or whatever. Yep. Um, so I don't for that because I can narrate an entire room of stealth easier than I can just have them walk. Okay, you sneak down this hallway. Yep, that's about as exciting as it gets when for me. Um, and I moved away from that for that reason. Um, but I'm going to say it's going to be up to you. I would, for personally, just use them as like a plot areas, right, and combat areas. Other than that, you don't need a map when you're describing stealthiness. You basically say, hey, you see uh, three guards, uh, you know, a short distance away. If you were to move from this spot, they'll probably see you. Okay, well, I want to create a minor illusion and create a noise over there. So they look that way. Then I'm going to run. Okay, make a stealth check. I know I keep touching druids, because let's face it, they have a lot of options. Without druids are great for infiltration. But I was thinking, like, maybe the, the druid turns into a ferret. And the third spot, a ferret! You are not my new pet. <laughs> Think of all the opportunities that could come up from that. Yeah. Oh, look at my little ferret, Sam. Sammy. Sammy. Just there, he's holding you, petting you. And then he turned to an elephant. <laughs> and that's the end of him. Uh, Ed has a great... Uh, new York Tater, you got a great idea here. He says, maybe you can have them... Uh, have them create one as they're casing the joint. So that way, the more, longer they, they spend casing and learning, the yep. more full the map is. Yeah. That's, what, that's, that's pretty snazzy. I like that. Um, the other thing that uh, I want to talk about... Uh, oh, chase scenes. Um, I, re- I recommend running a chase scene as a skill check again. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I'm going to run away. Give me an athletics check. Okay, you dash down the hall uh, and you push over the, the 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 pedestal with some items on it and pull you know picture frames off the wall and are throwing it behind you as you're escaping. And you drop your bag of ball bearings. And you drop a bag of ball bearings. And, and so Alan has a good point. Is what if before this whole thing happens, everyone plans that they might have to escape, so they create ways to aid themselves as they're escaping. I definitely like that. And if a, if the players came to me with, here's my escape plan, I probably would make the escape much easier to succeed at. Because how? when was the last time you were in a game where the players went into a dungeon with an escape plan? Never. <laughs> yeah. I strategically uh, make sure there's a cart of hay underneath its window. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so you can run and jump out the window in, in the old-fashioned style, right? Uh, what's that called? Oh, Leave of faith? Yes. So that actually leads into some of our, our, our next stuff. <laughs> yeah, Sam, that's the part of it. That's because we, we uh, I don't want to digress into that too much. Um, it's wait, our wait. job to encourage those sort of ideas. That's why I think the inspiration system works. When you start giving them rewards for those really creative ideas, hopefully they'll come up with more. Associate learning? Yeah, whatever. Uh, anyway, so... Uh, that's Pavlov. <laughs> <laughs> uh, running a chase scene is really good. If they've got a plan to escape, that's great. Um, kind of running out of time here. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is... Only I can stealth. This is something you hear a lot, right? Uh, well, we got one rogue in the party, and nobody else. We got a big plate paladin, you know. Okay, first off, just because you're the rogue doesn't mean you're the only who can stealth. Right, and that that comes back to uh, us talking about what we were talking about earlier. Um, many other skills come into play with a cloak and dagger encounter that don't rely simply on stealth, um, and these come down to gathering information. Well, anybody can gather information, right? He's got to go around and talk to people whether that's persuasive or bribery. Um, starting rumors is a really good one, right? 
Uh-huh. Um, start if you say if you sneak a rumor in. Uh, let's say uh, Brandon's our big paladin, and he decides he wants to sneak a, a, a wrong rumor in that the place is going to be attacked, uh, or no, that the noble has been caught cheating on his wife with another noble. Right. So now that starts to make its way uh, through. Now, do, how is that? And that noble finds out. Is that noble then going to create a scene at the location, allowing the party to succeed in a, a, a skill check or a, a stealth check? Because now there's a noble NPC making a big scene about the other guy plowing his wife, which isn't actually happening. You know? Plot twist! <laughs> he actually is. That would be awesome. <laughs> um, uh, disabling uh, traps. Disabling uh, um, environmental effects. If there's a watchtower, right? If you can put out all the lights on a watchtower, that watchtower is not going to be very effective. Mm. Place a fake bounty on the devil. <laughs> uh, talking, talking to a guard and distracting a, a, a guard for a second. You know, when you got the person that plays the very charismatic bard, or let's say uh, seductress, right? And she walks around and runs her hand across her face and starts shaking her ass. Or a guy. Or a guy. Wow. We're, we're, we're pro-equal rights of everything here at Crit Academy. You like that? Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, um, <laughs> so doing stuff like that, any player can do those sorts of things. Some might have a better chance of succeeding. I don't imagine the big burly barbarian is going to have a lot of success when he walks up to the guard and says, <laughs> Hi, my name's Tiffany. Then again, maybe he might. Maybe it turns out that that guy is into Goliaths, you know? <laughs> um, so there's a lot. <laughs> no, I've never done with a big chick before. <laughs> <laughs> Um, a great example of this is in, in heist movies like Ocean's Eleven. Every person has a job. It doesn't have to be everyone's job to sneak in to do something. It only has to be one person's. And sometimes a job's not a big job, but it's an important job. Yes. Ooh, the guy who's pretending to be a butler files down the, an important key. <laughs> so the guard can't get in. <laughs> Sam says, uh, without me prompting the possibility, and therefore they do, it because I suggested it is possible. So then, okay, so I've got a Crit Academy homework for you, Sam. Um, next time, do a few exercises, and I think we've briefly talked about this on the show. Do some exercises with your, uh, with your party. When they walk into a tavern, ask them what it looks like. Who cares what you've already got written up? Say, hey, uh, Brandon, you walk into the tavern, what's it look like? It's dark and dimmy, and it smells of B.O. because all these guys are in here. How many guys are in there? Half a dozen. Who's behind the counter? Some big busty chick, I don't know. Uh, what race? Half orc. Okay, and you walk up to her and ask her her name. What is it? Cynthia. Hi, I'm Cynthia. <laughs> you know, so if you give them that, cre- if you just outright give them that creative freedom, they'll start to come up with that. One that I use a lot when people are searching for information. Um, Ian approaches me, says, "Hey, I want to go out and scout the town and look for any uh, rumors in regards to this giant ogre." All right, uh, give me an investigation check. Oh, you got a sixteen. Uh, who do you find? Well, I find Tim the blacksmith. <laughs> Tim the blacksmith. What is he doing right now? Is he blacksmithing? Of course he's blacksmithing. Or is he eating something? He's blacksmithing. Okay, so he's blacksmithing. So way to be very creative, by the way, because I'm trying because to prove the point. he is actually creating some extra swords, and extra work orders, because of the rumor that there is a giant ogre going around, so people want protection. Oh, see, that was really good. So I may or may not have had that written out, but now we've got one. So the little exercises like that can encourage them to build the world for you, and just take notes of some of the things I say. Um, Sometimes... The uh, players do the best job of coming up with the ideas to kill them with. Yeah, and more importantly, all I need to do is say, okay, there's a room here. I don't know. Unless it's an important NPC, it doesn't matter to me. But maybe that NPC becomes important. Um, anyways, um, talking about giving each person a different job, this is a great encounter, uh, great I- 
time to actually um, split the party members, right? Because that's the traditional trope, right? Don't don't split the party. In a heist situation, you might have to. Yeah, so when you use initiative, you're going to describe each scene to each person. If it's Ian's job to make sure the gate is up at a certain time, and it's Brandon's job to make sure that the guard tower doesn't have a guard in it at this certain time. If it's uh, Sam's job to ensure that the butler is out of the room uh, so that uh, Alan can sneak in and uh, do the job. Each one of those has a job, and the scenario is going to go a little bit differently. At that point, treat it like combat and just follow an initiative role and describe each scene as they're going through it based on one skill check or tools that they use to overcome that challenge. So let's say uh, Brandon succeeds at uh, getting the guard out of the tower and is able to put out the light, but Ian doesn't get the gate open. Why isn't this lever working? <laughs> so now he's failed to get the gate open, so guess what? You guys now have to find a new route to escape. You know, so things like that. So each person's oh, job... Oh, hey, Castable. <laughs> <laughs> so each person's <laughs> job doesn't necessarily have to be tied to, oh, you just didn't get it open. It has some impact on how the story's going to unfold. Right. If, if uh, Brandon doesn't get that guard out of that tower, the challenge for the stealthy C to get past it just went way up. And so there's going to be... Sp- there's going to be recourse for those things um but you can easily split up the group that way um uh so if you have a mage using mages to disable specific traps that you've learned about now the great thing is is if your group fails to do any investigative work um they're going to be punished they're going to run into traps they're going to run into guards they're gonna they're gonna run into those things and what happens when you're told hey this needs to be discreet the guards that he has are strong and you won't be able to take them on, and somebody just says, fuck it, and charges in. That's how you lose players. And personally, as the DM, if I've given them plenty of warning that this is dangerous, that they can die if they do not do it subtly, then somebody probably will die if they choose to ignore that. (laughs) Yeah. Not only does he die, but the next day, they're like, okay, we're going to try this again. They look, and the guard's doubled. (laughs) Yeah, so... And there's a buddy hanging from the gate of the mansion. And it's your buddy. (laughs) Your buddy's got (laughs) just fucking hanging there back and forth as a, as a warning you know so that really gives the world a, a live feeling right that's how you make the world feel alive uh, what does that say at the end of each session reward extra experience with doing things like making a well thought out plan everyone to explain why they get it maybe it'll inspire them to think outside the box that sounds like a jack in the box commercial or a taco bell commercial I think outside the box we I'm can hungry. fold the box into origami <laughs> That's a good point, Alan. <laughs> now the party has a piñata. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they can practice. Um, so all these things don't actually have to go right in order for well, everything has to go right for it to or in order for it to go without a hitch. But remember, every failure should have consequences and make the dif- difficulty that much harder. Um, whether that means they lose somebody in the process, hey. That might happen, but that's part of the game. Or somebody just gets maimed or can't help and Maybe your failure, it doesn't hinder the game too much because the guy is able to stealth by anyway. But there should always be some sort of recourse. Maybe the, the guards are on high alert now because you tried to take out the guy in the, or in the guard tower, whoever that was. <laughs> you, uh, Brandon's in the guard tower, and now they're all high alert. The alarm goes off. You know? So. Um, so I, I think I kind of already touched on it. Uh, always think about what's going to happen and remember, uh, fail forward. Even if they fail, don't just say, I fail. You fail. Make sure there's some sort of recourse for it. Oh, you, Brandon sneaks up to try to knock out the guard and he fails. Maybe the guard stabs him or throws him off the top of the guard tower, you know? Ah! Uh, he might walk away. He might not. <laughs> no matter the challenge, always be ready 
to look for another way out or another way forward. Ooh, good call, Sam. There's a big section that has some of these cloak and dagger tests in downtime activities. Oh, snap. Wish I knew that. There's a lot of geezers, Antharson. Yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that. I probably could have done a much better job of prepping then. Wah, wah. Sad face. Yeah, so check out uh, Xanathar's Guide. There's a big cloak and dagger uh, section in downtime activities, which we talked about. I must have read that then, about uh, coming up with things to do during downtime activities. It may have came up when we were reviewing the guide ages ago. Maybe. Um, do you guys have anything else? Anything else you think we missed or that you would like to add to the cloak and dagger? I think we hit all of the big points. Uh, all right, so I think that'll do for our main topic today. If you'd like <laughs> to... Uh, visit other uh, areas where you can get great inspiration for a cloak and dagger esque type game. Watch heist movies; <laughs> lots of good ideas. Um, so that'll do it. Uh, before we move on, before we move on to our unearthed tips and tricks, we have one more gift to give away. Compliments of Lore Smith. Good stuff. Lore Smith. Lore Smith. Each episode, we will draw another lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the best-selling adventure, The Claws of Madness, compliments of Lawsmith. Lawsmith is a small indie team of creative artists who remember exploring the realms together with friends, finding incredible places, and meeting colorful characters along the way. They set out to deliver an experience that sparks those lasting impressions that pushed them to create their first standalone adventure, The Claws of Madness. This best-selling adventure is one that you don't want to miss. Who's our winner today, Brandon? Our winner this week for Lawsmith is Whitney Angelo. When it comes crashing down and it hurts inside You gotta take a stand, it don't help <laughs> Be happy, po- Alan, because that's all you're going to get from me. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations to Whitney Angelo. If you enjoy the adventure, please head on over to loresmith.com and leave him a review. Tell him what you like, what you didn't like, and <laughs> uh, let him know what you thought of the product. Tell him Crit Academy sent you. I think Ian's going to appreciate this. Moving on to our fourth and final segment, we have our unearthed tips and tricks. Our character concept is called Muscle, Muscle Magic. Magic. I was totally picturing Armstrong. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly who was who I was thinking of uh, when uh, this character was built. So, as in Major yeah, Armstrong, oh, good God. <laughs> big giant guy. So, um, first of all, to make it clear, from a meta standpoint, this character is just a caster, right? Yep. that's all they are. Uh, maybe even multi-class into punk if you want to add a little monk if you want to add a little more flavor, but or Terry Crews. Or Terry, Terry Crews, yes. That's awesome. Uh, it works best, in my opinion, with like a Goliath or like a dwarf or somebody who's got the who's got the natural build. But you could use it with really any race if you wanted. Um, I love that commercial. This, uh, for me, I would say this was... Uh, oh, yeah. I already said Sorcerer. I did change it. This character treats their magic like amazing feats of strength. Their punches and kicks are so powerful that they tear through the very weave of magic and distort it, creating powerful effects. We should role play this out, right? Yep. Who want? Who wants? Which one? Would you want? I want the muscle guy. You want the muscle guy? All right. I'll be the wizard. Oh god damn it, you guys! <laughs> I got to write this shit out and get to play it. So, so we've got a little sample here to kind of kind of yeah, go with it. Yeah, you just narrated it. <laughs> okay, go wizard. All right. What was that? A firebolt. What? No, I just kicked so fast the friction from my foot heats up the air around it. 
something like a huge shockwave of soaring at my foe. Right. How are you able to shrug off those blows so easily, Mage Armor? That, my friend, is pure, unadulterated muscle magic. I flex hard enough that my muscles glisten in the magical sweat, protecting this marvelous mountain of, like a structure from harm. I, I don't think that's what's happening. Okay, now that was definitely acid splash. What? My spit? When you have muscles like these, you need to eat a variety of things to keep in shape, be healthy, a powerful stomach, and spit to melt down Sands of Rivers diet. Oh, I love those habanero sauces. <laughs> this, my spit would melt the armor off a night. I give up. I can't believe I went to college for this. <laughs> I got through with a football scholarship. <laughs> Edward says a gnome would be hilarious. Yeah, so um, this entire, gnome would be great. So this entire concept is 100% a magic user who doesn't think, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe you reflave it, and it's they, to them it's not magic. you know. But to everyone else, they can see exactly what the result is, especially an educated person in magic like a, an arcane wizard. That, that does not compute. <laughs> um, that was great. Instead of meditating, he works out. <laughs> um, the only thing I couldn't think of was like... Uh, Make strength the uh, modifier instead of intelligence. Maybe. Uh, now you're getting into changing some of the mechanics. You're, you're but... just changing the numbers and where they come from. Yeah, maybe, I suppose. Um, but really, the whole idea is that you're, I'm envisioning this big, giant, Armstrong-looking motherfucker who glistens and sheens and signs, and when he smiles, maybe he uses minor illusion to make a little sparkle and twin tint into his teeth or something oh along gosh. the lines. You know, yep. This physique has been passed down to the generations by the Armstrong family. <laughs> the wizard who thinks he's too good for difficult adventuring. <laughs> uh, but, uh, A gnome learning magic perfects it. So what do you guys think about this character concept? The muscle magic. I like it. I think it's funny. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, once again, it's just... It just was uh, a reflavoring of a current class, which we were talking about in our our previous session of our patron pals earlier today about just reskinning a character yep. um, and giving it different <laughs> flavor. And what is the complete opposite of a feeble magic caster? A big burly guy that doesn't think it's magic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Like I said, some months before, I remember a character cast up online where a player wanted to play as a mage, but he said she was with a barbarian. But the joke was he received mage training because he got through the, the Metro University on a football scholarship. <laughs> Can anybody here do a Scandinavian accent? Because Sam says it needs to be. It's a Scandinavian. Is that right? I don't that, know. That doesn't sound Sounds right. more Swedish. Yeah, whatever. You know, I can't even tell the difference between the two. Uh, anyway, so that'll do it for our character concept, the muscle magic. Go out, have fun, punch things. <laughs> punch the air so fast you create fireballs. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's like a firebender. <laughs> yep. Uh, all right. Our monster variant today is Barrel Dragon. Did you get this from Zoids? Uh, actually, I think it was Sorcerer. What was so, the, this is a combination. What was the base mechanic for the character? Uh, the Sorcerer. Yeah, Sorcerer. Not Wizard. Yeah. Uh, wizard is uh, was a no-go. Yep. Meta magic made it made more sense. Yep. Um, especially if you're like Dragon Skin version. Mm-hmm. Uh, dragon, dragon Ancestry. Or yep. whatever. Anyway, and anyway, um, so yes, uh, our monster variant today is Barrel Dragon. Yes, I got it from a combination of Berserk Fury from yep. Zoids, as well as Twin Barrel Dragon from the Yu-Gi-Oh card game. <laughs> now that I've given away all my nerdiness to a whole new level, um, here are the changes that are required. The origin of the monster is the Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> that was good. Well, he had lots of years of practice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was your What was your nickname growing up? 
Clever Girl? Beastmaster. Clever Girl. <laughs> Clever Girl. No, it was Raptor Boy. It was Raptor Boy. Uh, he used to run around stalking around with his hands like pushed into his chest, you know, screaming. Give us I'd another one. Like a dentist. Huh? Give us another one. And I even got the shirt for it. <laughs> What's it <say>? Raptor Trainer. <laughs> anyway. uh, so anyways, um, the base monster is the Tyrannosaurus Rex. The, uh, you'll have to make a few changes. You'll have to change it from a beast to a construct. Uh, you'll have to give it damage immunities, poison, uh, condition immunities, charmed, uh, exhaustion, frightened, paralyzed, and poison, because now it's a construct, <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Two things. First off, <laughs> Ryan Doris, T-Rex, if you're happy in a wet clap here, oh, never mind. <laughs> Fucking Tate. <laughs> um, so, uh, one of the new features is legendary action, the barrel dragon can take one legendary action uh, and can be used, that can only be used uh, one time uh, and only at the end of another creature's turn. The barrel dragon regains spent legendary actions at the start of its turn. What is its legendary action, you say? Bum, 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 Cannon bum. blast. The barrel dragon's claws grip tight into the ground. It lowers its head, forward aligning its head, back, and tail straight in, as a blade. Several parts of its mechanical armor open up, and you can see behind them are vents containing fan blades that begin to spin and suck in air around it. It opens its maw wide with a, with a roar. A large cylindrical barrel extends from the recesses in the creature's mouth. A ball of electrical energy can be seen forming in its mouth. It exhales a destructive electrical energy. Jog! <laughs> when the barrel dragon uses the cannon blast forming a line 100 feet long and 5 feet wide out each creature in line must make a DC 16 dexterity saving throw a creature takes 8d6 uh, 8d6 lightning damage on a failed save or half as much damage on a successful one the lightning ignites flammable objects in the area that aren't being worn or carried this is a glorified medieval railgun charge <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's a uh... It's a laser cannon dragon face thing. Yep. Uh, have you ever seen Zoids? There's a cre- there, and one of the newer ones. Actually, the Gojulus is the one that does it too, right? It, Some of the older ones. It's like the black Tyrannosaurus thing. That, yeah. Yeah. Gojulus. Uh, and then the 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 silver Berserk Fury. Yep. Basically, he gets all the enemies around him, and he like his like his paws open out and claw out, and he uh, goes and then charges up and shoots like a blast, and it's fucking like a Kamehameha wave. It's but, great. Yeah, it's like a two shield mount cannon that doubles a force field generator. <laughs> yep. I didn't add that because I thought that'd make him too strong, but I considered it. Well, maybe maybe on another variant someday. So, uh, what do you think about this, Brandon? Does it sound badass, or am I just too hyped about it? You are not too hyped about it. It sounds pretty badass. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan agrees. That's badass. So does Alan. <laughs> hey, I love you guys, but not like that. <laughs> um, so, uh, the challenge rating, it pushes it to the top damage uh, of the challenge rating. So it very well could be challenge rating eight. It falls in a kind of right in between there. Um, if you don't know, there's damage scales in the DMG. Yeah, it's, it's a gray uh, area. Yeah, it's it, it's very close to uh, a one. I think it. I think it's a seven. I think it go, might go to an eight, but it's close enough that I didn't bother changing it uh, on the, the my sheet. So. Uh, so I could just imagine the player who's seen it before, is who are, who, or who has heard of it, and it's getting in position, it's getting ready. It gets down, it's a jaw opens, he's going, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> Starts running off. <laughs> the other guy's like, where are you going? <laughs> he doesn't get it. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, so that'll do it. <laughs> 
That'll do it for our monster variant, the Barrel Dragon. Um, so you can get as free with this like you did with the last one. Um, this is a very short description. So I'm going to let your creative mind and juices flow. Just not onto the table, okay? Into the mic. Oh, God, dude, no, stop. Okay. You get the next one. So that'll do it for our monster uh, variant, the Barrel Dragon. And today, for our encounter of the podcast, this comes from our listener, Stanton Fink. <clears throat> the children of the demon. Children in an area have been disappearing for a while now. A cult who worships a demon surreptitiously initiates children into their ranks by teaching them demonology and summoning rituals in the form of nursery rhymes and suspicious picture books. <laughs> so, Barney? Oh, uh, <laughs> maybe. I can't give away my secrets. <laughs> so, yeah. So, what I think is really cool is uh, we've talked about moral ambiguity. Things that are wrong, bad or clearly wrong, but are sometimes innocent. Uh, they're, 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 there's no cut and dry uh, right and wrong, right? Hang around the rosy. I was trying to think of a really good rhyme. You got anything? Go with that. Pocket full of posy. Uh, no. Ashes, ashes. Your city burns down. Um, <laughs> um, so two were coming for you. <laughs> three, four. Raise a fucking buck. <laughs> um, we could do that really good. It's story what? time. It's story time. You're all gonna fucking die. <laughs> <laughs> um. So for this, the goal is that um these cultists are using children to summon and make packs with demons and and become villainous, but it's not the children's fault, right? So in this adventure, it's the once again the players can't just go on a murder spree. I mean, they could. But how is the villagers going to react to finding out their kids were killed by adventurers? The parents in the cities aren't going to care that they were able to summon demons through nursery rhymes. They're not going to care that they think they're playing and having fun with their invisible friend who's stomping off murdering people, right? So the players then have to find a way to deal with this and break these apart, whether it's through a complex ritual where they have to remove and detach the the um children from these demons but i'm really thinking uh you ever play uh uh bioshock uh, like big big daddy and little oh. little sister right is a little sister and big daddy yep um where you got these little cute well i use cute loosely in that case but mr bubbles <laughs> <laughs> but the idea is that um the players have to find a new way to engage and deal with this uh, and what happens if they if they kill the demon just outright? Does it does it affect the kid? Is there an attachment to it, or um, do they got to go through a special process and remove the demon from the connection it has with the child? I just picture like a demon possessed child saying, "It's a very unholy large grin that's unnatural." I love you. You love me. Sharpening knives. <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. Uh, and, and you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I think it would be worse if you ended up killing the demon that these children looked up to, and they turned on you, and you were forced to take them out anyway. Because then they turned evil, right? You killed uh. Mr. Bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really like this. Could you guys have any ideas of how they would have to do this? I mean, a special ri ri ritual, obviously. What kind of would be involved in that ritual? A circle of salt and some hollowed ground, maybe? Yep. Something as simple as that, but they would have to find the hollowed ground and 
find enough salt to Get. circle a bunch of children. I thought you were supposed to use rosemary. Everybody's rosemary. No, this is oregano. Dang it. <laughs> so it, it doesn't work. Or sacrifice. It's nothing more creepy and saddening watching a bunch of brainwashed kids kill one kid because he needs a sacrifice. Yeah. Oh, great. Oh. Nothing about the, the, the Master Squad. Okay, a virgin must read the book. Sister, here's the book. Okay. Reads the spell. Nothing's happening. Uh, <laughs> um, wait. Don't tell mom. <laughs> uh, so I think that'll do it for our encounter of the podcast. Uh, Children of the Demon. Holy crap. Um, Sam says, or capture and force a cleric to hollow some ground. That seems very barbaric to force a cleric to do that. Why don't you just ask him? <laughs> hey, we need you to create some hollow ground so we can undamage these children. Oh, sure. And if a cleric says no, then they're pretty effed up. Uh, Brandon, would you like to do our magic item? Yes. Does this come from somewhere, or did you make this? I certainly did not make this. It is a magic item in Yuyahaka Show. Oh, yeah. This, I read through this. This, this is a... Horrible. So when you're looking for ideas for your adventures and your items, everything is, nothing is off limits. No. All right. So (laughs) since when do players ask? (laughs) My games, they get stabbed in the gut. (laughs) This week's magic item is called the Forlorn Hope. It is once said that this item was held in a vault of powerful spiritual leaders. It has been said that it can grant any wish the user desires. It is a small hand mirror with a bronze handle and frame. This item is a cursed sentient item. It can cast the wish spell once per year. The user who makes the wish loses their life, but the wish is granted. That's cold. Well, I'm a heartless son of a bitch. The mirror will not grant a wish to a person being forced into casting the wish, magical or otherwise. If the caster of the wish makes a self-sacrificing wish... A wish that is only to benefit of someone else, with pure intention. The wish is granted without taking a life. But they may not know that little fact. <laughs> they might not know, and that's the whole point. So this, I don't know if you clarified, this is a cursed and sentient item. Yes. So, well, the technically, in the mirror. <laughs> technically uh, I think Forlorn Hope actually gives that away. <laughs> you look on the back and Draconic says, make a wish, it's going to fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, forlorn hope means a persistent or desperate hope that is unlikely to be fulfilled. So, um, it outright, your wish may come true, but it's not going to be for you. Um, <laughs> so, it is a cursed object. Object uh, in the mirror uh, appears Alan, dead. That makes it even Oh, better. that is awesome, Alan. Yes. So, the, when they look <laughs> in it, they see a picture of them dead as the mirror. I was thinking like mirror, mirror on the wall type stuff as it's talking to you. And it may be, it may be indifferent. It might even... Oh, it, it might be. What's that say? Tate, I had that mirror in my bathroom already. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um, I like I like what uh, Alan says about having the objects in the mirror appear dead. That could be a clue to it. Now you could call for an intelligence check to figure it out, or having an, uh, a history check on any magic item that might match this, or if somebody's got the sage background, they can go ooh, look it up. Ooh. Or better yet, when you look in the mirror, it reflects everything but you. So you can see your friends and everything, but you don't see yourself. And as you make the wish, you are you get put into the mirror. Or how about you start off there and then it dissipates as you're making the wish? Uh, I don't know. The idea is that it's meant to be cursed because everyone's so excited to get a ring of three wishes. What if you just find something that will, in fact, grant your wish, but it costs a heavy burnt price? Oh, look. It's a time of the year again. The one time of the year I can grant wishes. The only time that people actually talk to me. 
and, and you could set it up. <laughs> no one never just talks to me. <laughs> you could set it up so that they find somebody that uses it, and when they make the wish, it kills them, and then they witness it firsthand as well. So then the players are carrying around this deadly item. What the hell's going to happen? You know. So this is a very simple item, but we always have. I'm not the type of person to corrupt a wish um, that the players do through like uh, the wish spell. This would be my way of kind of altering that, and I could introduce this at a low level. If one person was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, and they don't know that that's a condition of the mirror, then they're going to get off scot-free for sacrificing themselves to save somebody else, and lo and behold, they're not not sacrificed. I think, to me, that would be an amazing climax to a, an encounter. Oh, Sam, I like that. You know it'd be great? The last person to make a wish is the sentient <clears throat> object's character and is bound to seek the next victim <gasps> so their soul can be released. <laughs> Oh, snap. Sam, I think he gets the uh, MVP, most valuable patron for the day. <laughs> Golf clap? Golf clap. That's all you get. Um, so I think I think that'll do it for our magic item, the Forlorn Hope. That goes great with the main topic, too. You sneak into the uh, noble's bedchambers and you put the mirror on his table and just leave. Genius. But how are they going to know to make a wish? Write a, a note. note. Oh, well, it talks to him. It'll tell him. Hey, I will grant buddy, you a wish. Come here. <laughs> I will grant you hey, any come wish here. you want. I got something good for you. And he can always word it. I the, will grant you any one wish you desire. The first one's free. But you <laughs> can always you, you can always <laughs> make the forlorn heart tell them that it will take their life. But uh, some people may be willing to make that. Uh, that being said, uh, moving on to our DM tip. <laughs> Oh, no. Really? No. You grabbed this from a meme? It was a meme, so I had to, because I think this is hilarious. You can spice up your D&D game a little bit if you're all adults, and you're feeling a little naughty. When players roll a nat one, bust out the naughty dice. Make it an encounter they will never forget. Oh, my God. Uh, have you guys, if, has anybody saw these naughty dice? You know, the worst part is that I saw this like three days ago, the meme, and uh-huh. my first thought was, what game in their right mind would do this? Uh, Me. Apparently, no. <laughs> I just think, what? Oh man, I'm gonna end up getting porn on my computer trying to look at these things. You're at Spencer's. You're, uh, should you're, be good. You're fine. So, uh, you now, when I say naughty dice, I don't say go out and buy an actual set of naughty dice. You can buy blank dice and fill your own stuff onto them, or you can make a chart. Or you can make a chart too. Um, but either way, rolling and in, in making it uh, a <laughs> moment they'll never forget. <laughs> I saw the meme. Yeah, I can give it a miss. <laughs> give it a miss. Um, what I would say <laughs> is, uh, in this case, come up with your own sets of uh, punishment dice, right? Um, either that or, or, or uh, Ian recommends a chart where you roll on it and uh, like a crit uh, a crit fail uh, table, yep. right? Technically, those aren't a rule in 5th edition, and I know if uh, Gabe is listening, he's cl- clawing out his ears right now because I know how much he hates critical <laughs> failure. Um, but I'd say this would be the the one for the history books type of thing, not something you would use all the time. Parker's a naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> but it could be weird things like uh, it doesn't have to be super naughty, but like go out and give somebody, you know, you reach over to, uh, you know, shove the guy and you give him a hug. You know, or you go to push the guy over and you end up in a very awkward position. You know, you don't have to go so far as to make it super nasty. But I think I like comedy in my games and I'm very loose with that sort of stuff. The monk attempts to strike the orc, but instead gently caresses his cheek. The orc feels uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) See, stuff like that, I think, is really good. Um, Actually, a webcomic that kind of went like this once and like the... 
Because the, the, the thing was, there was one player in the in the party who was the last guy left standing. Don't they end up like? And, and, and the and the orc horse coming at him goes, you know what? I'm going to roll and intimidate. Rolls on that one, and Skirter yells, "Come out, you big beautiful beast!" <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And the guy like, well, you know what? That didn't work out very well. Since it doesn't are running bad, I'm going to roll a seduction check. Not twenty. <laughs> nice. Ryan says monk uses explosive nipple twist. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, when we say naughty, yes, if you, and, uh, apparently Alan might already have some, um, you can make it, you can make it work and you can make it fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the laugh, out, laugh out loud mechanic behind nipple twist, quivering palm. <laughs> um, uh, so this is something that is totally meant to be funny and meant to be interesting. And it doesn't have to be have any mechanical benefits. It's just something that's interesting that could really add a little bit of variety. And I think for those moments where combat really begins to slow the game down, this would be a great thing to toss in there unsuspectedly. Because mm-hmm. imagine if you're all just sitting around a table around fucking seven and is it my turn yet. Oh, I rolled a one. Uh, roll some dice. Uh, as you begin to thrust him with your blade, he parries your blow, and you spin around, ending with your sword shoved between his legs, and you're bent over him. I, um. I, I hope that that would wake everybody up in an instant. And that's really kind of what I was going for with this kind of a shock and awe thing, where when you get to those slow moments, you can toss this in there to catch everybody off guard. And plus, I thought it was funny as hell. Uh, that's what it looks like. <laughs> it's really is not what it looks like. <laughs> Ryan says to say it slower, baby. <sighs> okay, that'll do it for our DM tip. Let's Spice up your game. And our last tip is our player tip. Don't be a dick. And you can avoid dickitude by... When you're on a long break in between your game sessions, write a short journal entry in your character's voice to help you get closer to your character. It will only help to better immerse you and your group at the next... The next time you're at the table. Wow, I totally didn't type that right. I have went forward on this long, weary journey for many months now. Dip, 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 dip. Yeah, for you, <laughs> for you guys, uh, I just found the comic Ian was talking about, about the bad rolls. Uh-huh. And I put it up on the patron. Did you? Or not patron, uh, Discord. Okay. So if you get a chance to... Put it on <laughs> that's pretty face- funny. Put it on the Facebook page. Oh, uh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> tonight's yes. reference tonight's episode. Um, so... Um. Yeah. So, what do you do? You, do you guys got a one-liner you would write in one of your characters' voices uh, if you're writing them a letter, writing yourself a letter? Today in the Dragon's Den Tavern, Thoric ordered a steak. It is very delicious. <laughs> Nothing else happened because <laughs> he didn't care. Uh, he says it's too small on Discord. Did you try clicking on it? Because <laughs> that makes it bigger. I don't know if he did. <laughs> you got anything? Because I do. Um. <laughs> It's been a long, hard travel. My ass hurts very much from this damn horse. And if I don't see another horse for the rest of my life, I'll be very happy. That being said, Ian, his chewing bothers me every night. I just want to slap him in the head. (laughs) I don't understand why he does it. It really pisses me off. I have a jerky self-shelting. When he decides I need to disable a trap, I think I'm just going to tell him it looks clear. (laughs) <laughs> you tried right clicking on it and opening it in a new tab <laughs> flip it o- flip it open okay next time you're out on the road and you feel like getting drunk wait till you're in town 
because the last time this happened, your dumbass decided to put an arrow in upside down, and you snapped your bow. <laughs> Don't drink and bow. <laughs> Uh, so if you can tell just by those, uh, those give you a little bit about the characters. It's not much, but it it, it can be a good reminder to get you in character, especially if it's been a month or two. You know, because sometimes people go a long time without having a game session okay. for the character. Well, Ellen, riding a horse with all day can give you a Charlie horse. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen says that didn't sound right. The horse makes your ass hurt. <laughs> No, I got a better one. Have you seen how big they are? <laughs> is it, is, you you uh, look, look open into the into the journal and you read through his thoughts and it says eleven eighteen. I thought I stepped horse shit. Eleven twenty. It was horse shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, so um. So yeah, these can really be amazing read after a long campaign, and you you uh, you just have forgotten. So <laughs> I, I can't recommend this enough, and it doesn't even have to be adventure related. Um, it can just be some bullshit that's tied to your character's personality. You know, whether it's he's got some problem with another player because I probably forget that after a long time that my character doesn't like yours for whatever reason. Whether it's chewing or the way he draws his blade. Or just maybe the way he talks, you know, who knows. Uh, what about you? You know, you mentioned, you know, stepping in poo. That says a lot about your character's priorities, right? <laughs> right? Um, so uh, I think that'll do it for our player tip. Don't, Don't be, be a, a dick. dick. Before we move on, we have one more gift to give away. Compliments of Jeff Stevens. It's been a long few days of travel, and the adventurers are tired of eating rations and sleeping on the ground. The road opens to a small town with an inviting tavern. The smells of grilling meat and ale fill their nostrils, and the sound of laughter and music float out the tavern's door. Unlucky for the adventurers, they've stumbled upon Dragon's Breath Tavern. What starts out as a pleasant evening of food, drink, and entertainment soon evolves into an adventure that takes the party into and under Dragon's Breath Tavern. The adventure includes roleplay, exploration, combat, and a dice game called Demon Dice. Today's winner is Corey D.L.G. Oh yeah. Can we do the fucking Macarena? You got a problem with a Macarena, fucker? To this music, yes. <laughs> hey, you know what? I don't judge you, Mr. Raptor Boy. Next time I hear this song, I expect you to rip your shirt off. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't. It's Wait, my work shirt. Someone get me some penicillin. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, congratulations, Corey DLG. Uh, if you enjoy the adventure, please make sure to let Jeff Stevens know. Leave him a review. Tell him what you like, what you didn't like. And let him know that Crit Academy sent you. So please join us on our next episode where we hear feedback from you, our heroes. We will be discussing pacing of the game pacing is important and this became obvious to me when i was trying to follow the rules to test something and back and forth <laughs> back and forth <laughs> so we're gonna be talking about that and i'm excited if y'all have any feedback on earth tips and tricks or topics you would like us to discuss please send them to us you can email them to us at the academy at the gmail.com or find us on the Twitter in the Facebook at Crit Academy. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> the Twitter. <laughs> you can also find us on YouTube now too. So go over there and subscribe to our channel. 
We hope you've enjoyed your experience here at the Crit Academy. If you did, you can help others find the show by leaving a hopefully five-star review on iTunes or your platform of choice. Or just send us a message telling us how much you enjoy the show and how fucking awesome we are. Or you can also follow us on YouTube. Or you can just follow us on YouTube because Justin's a prick. Also, be sure to give us a like and a share or else. (laughs) That was good. (laughs) Make sure to subscribe to our show at CritAcademy.com so we can help you on your future adventures. As well as you can be entered to win cool prizes each and every week. Every week. You will find the links to our fellowship members there as well. You can check out show awesome shows like Crit, uh, we're Crit Academy. That doesn't work. <laughs> you can check out awesome shows like Interparty Conflict. Uh, Gabe and Jeff do an awesome show where they answer your questions to hope to, uh, to help you and get the most out of your tabletop RPG experience. Uh, I one of bar none one of my favorite podcasts. I can't recommend it enough. Their shows a lot like our Let's Talk About Blank, but it's like the whole thing, and their answers are far more thorough than ours. <laughs> as well as you can find D and D Character Labs if you like character building which honestly who doesn't they build characters every week and they're very well fleshed out and they argue their validity in game against each other in a battle of wits like a couple of beautiful bards you can also find our links to our sponsors uh, at the show as well so check out all their goody stuff uh i am your host justin i am your co-host brandon and i'm your other co-host ian thanks for listening Keep your blade sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Today's episode has been brought to you by Peregrine's Poison Pack. Please. Read the instructions before you apply. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you apply that shit to the right location. Thanks, Because I learned what happens when you didn't. (laughs) Good shit. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Fuck it, Captain. Oh, man. (laughs)